0: Roland so this week we have a different type of guest now since this podcast is all about you know the health and performance of the mind and the body we thought we'd branch out and use our network and one of the lovely people i've come to know over the last couple of years is dr lenore rubin so thank you for joining us and lenore one of the first things you mentioned and i was always impressed with you was that you studied your phd through harvard now When we started discussing a little bit through it you mentioned it was focused in child psychology have i got it wrong that you wasn't at harvard No, based on your look
1: i I got my phd is from boston university in clinical psychology but then i interned i did all my internship and work at a harvard teaching hospital
0: right yeah right
1: yeah
0: and and has it always been focused in child psychology
1: mainly child and community yes Right. Yep. Yep.
0: Right. So then, so what was the actual, because you gave me the advice, definitely do a, uh, definitely test your subjects in your PhD study. Don't pull the error of doing a big review. So what was the experimental process that you looked at in child psychology?
1: I I looked at the relationship between children's feelings about themselves and how well they did in school. Mm -hmm. So... And it's kind of, if you think about it, it's a no brainer, you know, that if you, if you feel good about who you are and competent, then you're more likely to do well. Absolutely. Right. Right.
0: And so what was that? Was that based over just, um, was it sort of which age group children? How many children was this?
1: I think I did, you know, to tell you the truth, Alex, it's now um, about 35, 40 years ago, So, you know, I don't really remember. I think the advice I gave you was try to not get too fancy because that would hold up your degree. And so when you're doing something for a degree requirement, like a PhD thesis, you know, you want to be very uh, kind of um, organized and direct about it. So anyway, but I went to elementary schools and I played the game mastermind with kids and I had some rating system and it was fun. Uh, and then I interviewed teachers ab- about them. So it's, you know, it's it was nothing surprising. It, w- it was kids who had more ability to kind of think for themselves, uh, had more friends and did better in, in school overall.
2: So, so one, one of our NFL guys Justin I was on here and he made reference to something he read about uh with kids that they 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 did like some kind of social experiment with them saying that kids that weren't gifted and talented they told them you're gifted and talented yeah, yeah. and they all did better in school
1: right there's a lot of there's a lot of work like that there's there are some f- interesting studies where um, teachers were advised to uh, praise certain children in the classroom in front of all the other kids and to not praise other children in front of the class. And they found, and for no reason, it was randomly, kids were randomly selected and it's the same thing where the teacher talked about, whoa, great, you know, whoa, you're really a smart one. Um, all the children, all the other children followed suit and saw that child as, you know, gifted. So yeah. And that, you know, that has to do with what's been a complaint about having uh, white teachers teach black children that they have diminished expectations for black children that are very harmful to those children. So it's, it comes out in the area of racism too. Oh,
2: please, please dive into that. Go, what, what do you, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, it's what your NFL person said that expectations mean a lot and if you're kind of expecting children of color to not be smart and to not do well, they'll live up to that expectation and they'll feel that they'll feel that you see them as less less than.
2: So so that's that's under the assumption that every teacher that they have is under that assumption that black black kids aren't going to yes. do as well as we're okay. Okay. yes
1: you don't have to have that just because you're a white person you don't have to have that but unfortunately there's a lot of bias that people have so
0: so uh, well go, these go, studies go. with the ch- these studies with the the children are, are fascinating anyway because i think i mentioned it also on the Tratow podcast they did a a study in i think it's called cognitive and clothing so they would get children to do problem solving tasks in groups and solo and then they would also make them do similar tasks but dressed up as their favorite superhero and then they started to see how much of an impact that this had had
1: uh-huh. and what was That's also fun. funny
0: was they was recording what the children were saying and the children were saying things like batman doesn't give up you know right right certain right. things like this and it's absolutely fascinating how the this sort of role playing how right. it how it really works right so one of, the, um, one of the things I, I heard from, we had a, a, a guest on, the, uh, on our show, a guy called Tim, who's a bit of a nomad, very different kind of, of guy. And he once trained two leading insi- uh, child psychologists out of San Francisco, I believe. And he said, I've got two young kids. Tell me how to do it properly. And they said, well, listen, we would love to tell you how, but the truth is, is that, we don't really know what works and what helps what it makes their life improve, but we definitely mm-hmm. know that you can mess their life up. So take right. that however you want. <laughs> and right. as I as I as I'm, you know, a, a new father, I feel certain urges that you want to start looking into things a bit more, researching. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you know, we're very much a, a a a coached society, right? We've always sort of been told this is the sort of thing you should learn and should right. have. Right. And trying to balance sort of the intuitive side that I feel like I don't know if I know what to do or not. And then like trying to read, it can sometimes be a hard line. So as a child psychologist, I mean, is there one way or is there many ways? Like how do you even navigate such a complex task?
1: Well, no, it's, it's I feel bad for parents today because there's so much information out there (laughs) and a lot of it is contradictory. Some of it has to do with your beliefs and your style of uh, what you think. I mean, there are some things that are known. We know that zero birth to three, you have 700 neurons a second developing in your little brain. So that's pretty amazing. So you have to think of, you know, you think of a brain as a, you know, a computer uh, all ready to go that has certain attributes. Computer hard drives are all different, right? but they have, sir, they have, but what you're doing is you're the software inputter. And so it's a good analogy. So I think, um, and so, you know, we know certain things like children need to be responded to. So they need what's called serve and return, like in tennis. They serve something, they smile at you and they want a return, a return smile. Um, and so they need a responsiveness and they need a consistency. And so we know you're right, um, how you can really screw things up the first three years is really being neglectful. But you don't have to be good all the time. I think that if you do serve and return 60% of the time, your kid is good. I mean, it's not like a perfection thing where you have to be on your toes every minute. Um, but there are, there are a lot of things that are known about those first three years. They've been widely studied in infants. And so there's a whole field now of infant mental health that's, you know, really centered on infants and their caregivers.
2: So, so, so with this, with this serve and return, is there, I mean, I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of helicopter parents where it is, over return like these these yeah. these people are and these kids are so lazy, right? Is there the over stimulus effect that comes into play with that?
1: Yes, I think that you can't do too much when they're zero to three, really, um, of of being attentive and meeting kids' needs. But I do think after that, that if you rush in, you need to build some tolerance for frustration,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that starts at zero to three. You know, for example, you, you maybe a baby is hungry, and they know they're going to get fed because you've been pretty consistent about feeding them. So it's not a mystery, but you can say, they cry and you say, I know you're hungry, I'm coming. And you can wait, I mean, it could take to warm up a bottle or to get something ready, and they can sustain waiting, because they know it's coming. And so that, bow is kind of the little building of frustration tolerance. And you do want kids to be able to tolerate frustration. And there are, oh, gosh, I don't have my, I have to look at my books. But there are a lot of books now on building kids in a way so they can be not lazy, as you say. But, but you have to make them feel they have power you know, not power to override you, they need to feel safe that you'll take care of them, but that they have some sense of agency and can, you know, take care of things and do what's necessary. Yeah, you can't, you shouldn't be stepping in all the time to fix things. You should be more reflecting with kids how they feel about making a mistake and working with them about, okay, how are you going to fix this? The emphasis being on you will fix it, right yeah, yeah so so with
2: reinforcement, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, neutral reinforcement, right like it's it, it, the response any kind of response with not leaning one way or another would obviously be more more in the neutral like okay, I hear you right you're not right. you're not saying good or bad what are you right. what are you what are you looking for are you looking for? Less negative reinforcement in certain circumstances.
1: I well, I think so. I don't think negative is usually pretty is usually useful um, for children. It it doesn't it doesn't really do much. Punishment not so useful um, for kids, especially kids who have problems. Once something gets going, where they really see themselves as a negative person, negative child, negative stuff just gets added in and they keep on going and you know negative attention better than zero attention that's the worst really which is hard to think about but it's true yeah
2: well for that's a, why that's why kids yeah. act out for attention
1: yeah one of the reasons they do is yeah, is for wanting to be close to a close to an adult so they can feel secure and protected and if they don't have that and they can't get that in their kind of right way that we like to see they'll try to get that in another way. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, so so one, one thing that I've noticed with a lot of my kids and I say my kids, like kids that I train high school, when we have groups one-on-one, every kid is great. I don't have any issues one-on-one and even in small groups, I have very, very little issues. Once we get into a team setting, then the jokers come out, and then all of a sudden, yeah, 60 percent of the good kids turn, in, turn into you know a bunch of jerks. So right. so I, I try everything. I try positive reinforcement, I try negative reinforcement, I try everything, and then what ends up working best with the kid that just doesn't want to respond, and, and I will berate some of these kids, right? right? And everyone gets a kick out of it, and you'd think, like, "Oh, maybe I'll get in line." Like, and the kid just gets even worse. One right. of the things that I do is I start complimenting every single kid but that one. And it drives them bonkers.
1: No, that's right. That's right. And that's what good teachers are told to do. They're told to recognize, for example, thank you, John for sitting so nicely and waiting for me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's a, like a classroom management thing, but there are kids who, who really cannot function so well in, in large groups. They, they feel, I think they have a feeling that they will get lost and they will not be seen. So they, and which is a terrible thing for them for whatever reason. And they will make themselves seen in whatever way possible. Right. Obnoxious, so, you know, right. Yeah.
0: So, Lenore, you know, when you were saying that, you know, this zero to three period is when 700 neurons are growing in a second or is that what you... Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So you know, it's hard because on some side of uh, I feel like kids can just you should just expose them to as much as possible because then they're gonna you know sort of learn through the whole experience and probably the experience alone is with the right kind of mindset. they're gonna they're gonna take it away as being positive, but of course there's a very fine line. Now of course, then also children are born with some kind of genetic influence in them that oh
1: yeah, you know, yeah, that's right.
0: Which So it's very hard to know that line and that boundary. But would you say that in general, I mean, I I feel like especially I had an example earlier on today with, you know, a child's parent didn't want to put them on the train in Switzerland and they're 13 years old to get the train to bus stops, you know, so very, very like sort of overprotective mode. Would you say that in general, it's better to be confident in a child and trust the child enough to sort of go and explore and have this exposure or... Because it seems like cultures going the other way. It seems like we're protecting way more, and or at, le- at least that's what it looks like from my side.
1: Well, I think you have to know your child. That's the thing. You mm. you really have to know your child. Um, and I think once they're thirteen, you have to know it's not just okay they're thirteen. It's more like who who are you? Are you a child who makes good decisions? Are you a child who has attention problems and might read a book and not get off where you're supposed to get off? You know, um, I mean, I think you have to know who your child really is to make that kind of decision. But I think, you know, you're right. People have gotten more and more frightened about kidnapping and all this bad stuff uh, happening as the world has gotten more and more worrisome. Um, But I think that those are decisions, you know, governments can make decisions. For example, Child Protective Services says that you can't leave children 11 and under uh, alone. But there are some 11 year olds we know who are so competent, they can stay alone for an hour or two till their parent gets home. I mean, it seems arbitrary and silly, but there are others who, you know, might be up to no good and (laughs) really need supervision. So I think it's, it is partly individual. Um, yeah. And then it's a parent's comfort level matters. And if you convey doubt, that's also has to be considered. Um, and then, you know, cause the child then will get nervous too. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but
2: yeah. So- so I, I, I want to jump back into the positive and negative reinforcement category again, because this is, so I, my, my generation was the generation where parents kind of stopped hitting their kids so much. Yes. There, there I had, I think we were 50, 50, 50% of my friends and I got hit. And then 50% right. of my other friends didn't get right. hit. And I have, I have an NFL guy here, Chris Hogan. And yeah. I've told, I've told multiple stories about how Chris Hogan and I actually get in fights. In, really oh yeah oh this 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 he was he, he's he's our last guest this jerk he just don't want to listen and he's defiant and the second the first fist fight we got into was like a wrestling match where he thought he could beat me up and and right. i ended up smashing him the second one i said you know why i have to do this again he said why i said because your dad never hit hit you did he and he goes nope i was like you have no idea what's coming to you and then i just kicked the, i kicked the ever-loving crap out of him right? So I think that there's obviously, I'm a negative reinforcement guy. Um, (laughs) uh, I, I think there's value. I see a difference in some of my kids who have been obviously not beaten, but like have been exposed to negative reinforcement in some way or another in the way that they evaluate rooms and situations. Do you, do you see any value in that?
1: Well, I think you have to take up with kids things that they have done wrong. I don't think you should ever hit a child. And that's because there's a big power differential, at least with your NFL player. You're both kind of equal. You know what I mean? He's not really worried you'll kill him or not feed him or take care of him. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, children are different. There is a power differential. They know it. And you don't want to ever be in a position of scaring your child. Um, so I don't think you have to, but do you let things go? N- you know, no, if, if your child does something, that's a problem, you have to take that up and you have to say, you know, this is a problem, for example, um, and it reflects your values. I mean, I, I am a big valuer of education and doing your homework. And so that's not something I would let slide
2: then, then I would have brought you to hit me <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
1: No, I would have thought of something else. I'm very creative. I would have thought, what is this child's favorite thing? And I would have made a deal with you. You know, I would have said, you have to do your homework. What's making it hard for you? Do you have a learning disability? Is there something especially hard? You're not a ho- you know you're not an academic kind of guy. Okay, that's fine. Um, Can you do things, you know, there's all this fun research now that um, kids learn things better, for sure, the more outdoor time they have, and the more runaround time they have. So, you know, I would see, were you too constrained? Did you get to run around enough? Um, Were you allowed, you know, to um, maybe play music while you read? Because for some kids that's really great, even though some of us are like, "How can you be reading, listening to, you know, heavy metal?" I mean, I we would have tried to solve the problem first, and then we would have lured you with, "I know you really want to go to this football game. Let's make it happen." And you know, five days a row of your homework, you're going to the football game. I don't know. I don't know if that would have worked, Mike, but
0: i wouldn't have beat you lenore i think so highly of you and you're the <laughs> professional but i think you would have enjoyed beating him probably right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Lenore, I'm, I'm telling you it was even to this day so i just finished my master's in acupuncture and i'm going to be getting my doctorate and right. i have professors that I, i'm a big 2080 guy i've been like this my whole life of the effort gives you 80% of the results and I could spend majority of my time doing other stuff that that's more important. Right. So to me, it doesn't matter about homework. Like that's a crock. Like the homework is busy work. If you get the concept, yeah, I got it. I'm fine. But if I need to work at it and I care about it, I'll work at it.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, so you must've gotten okay grades.
2: So funny, a really funny story. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I was four foot eight, 80 pounds. I was very, very small and I was a wrestler. My my father was afraid that I wouldn't be able to make 103 as a freshman. So I was one of the first people in the area. It's very popular now, but one of the first people in the area to reclass as an eighth grader, just so I could grow. Now, I've always been in reading classes my whole life because I can't. I mean, e- even even now, teacher asked me to read out loud. I go, pass. Like yeah, Mike, yeah. you know, your graduate student read out loud. I said, "Man, you're not telling me what to do." I own a business. Have someone right. else read, you know. Right. So, yes. Yeah. So i i they had me checked out by doctors, right, just right. to make sure. Like, does he have ADD? Does he have this? Does he have that? And then one doctor came back, and I, they told me this later in life. They said, "You know, some people are just see students."
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you've took it far, mate. So.
1: Yeah, but I might say that you have a real strength in knowing what you like and what's meaningful and that's what you want to do. I mean that's that's like that's a strength. See, you're you're not going to end up in trouble. But what about a kid who doesn't do things but they don't know they they don't have a philosophy in a way by why they're not doing it. It's not that it's not meaningful. It's like they don't do things. You know what I mean? They're more lost. Yeah that's a different kind of story.
2: Okay. Yeah, Yeah. I, I, and we have we have plenty of kids that are just like that where, I mean, if, if you come into our gym, there's a lot of freedom to do what you wanna do, but if you don't do what you're supposed to do, right. you just get, you, you get berated by everyone.
1: Right, <laughs> so right. There's
2: a lot of negative reinforcement here.
1: <laughs> that's okay, but does it work? That's your question? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah but they're, but they're not children, children.
0: They're not four. Right. Right. So Lenore, when you mentioned that, you know, negative reinforcement is particularly not effective when the child has the, the narrative in their head that they're a bad person. Right. Where that seems to be something that a lot of people hold throughout their entire life. Now, where does that, like, why is that? Why do we even, why does such a thing even come into our mind, especially as when when we're young?
1: Well, somebody was telling me that unfortunately people are wired to remember their mistakes and bad things because it helped them to avoid getting eaten by tigers, you know, Mm -hmm. in the past. So, um, so there is that, but I think that, um, it's a, it's a big deal. I, I think that there are, um, a lot of ways that people, children get negative messages about who, about who they are. If they do a lot of things wrong, if somebody doesn't really seem interested in them for them, um, you know, parents who are really, um, for whatever reason, not available psychologically to a child. Um, you know, there, there's, It's so many reasons and maybe something happened to you when you were being raised and so you really can't do it for a child, you know, it's easy to have children, uh, but really taking care of them is not so easy. Um, And then there's the whole, you know, thing about race, making you feel you're less than getting messages about your, your, you know, racial stuff or, you know, there's all that stuff about being a woman and being a girl, you know, girls traditionally are not in the sciences. Girls have uh, ideas about themselves, not being good at math Mm -hmm. and it really can't be true. Um, So it has to be something that happens environmentally too.
0: I mean, could that also, I mean, we learn so much through storytelling, mythology, say like Disney nowadays yeah I mean that's a huge education right educational influence on 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 children right and especially involving archetypes and yeah certain things like this so and I mean it seems like culture is progressing so fast and things are really you know if you look at say your generation to the generation below and then a couple you know to where even from where I am to where you know scarlet is going to be it's going to be huge it's going to be a completely different world and what's acceptable and what's not so the paradigms of our thinking uh uh it seems like that's the biggest conflict is sometime or at least it seems like to me it could be it's a it's the it's a problem for us rather than such a problem for the child because can't children just sort of they just adapt and move and could yes. just kind of figure it out, right? But a lot yes. of the time we get hurt from it, you know?
1: Right. And children are born with, with curiosity, but really curiosity without judgment. But they pick up that judgment from, from others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, you know, Disney Princesses are now like Mulan, who goes fights in a war. I mean, I think Disney has morphed itself <laughs> into trying to have more, not just, you know, Cinderella looking good so she could get the prince, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You think about all those early Disney princesses um, and what message that was. And then you think about later ones um, where I think culture
0: is shifting. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So... Before Scarlett was born, I, I touched a little bit on this uh, already. I was, and I mean, it's funny as time goes on with life, you keep realizing that you really have no idea what you're talking about, right? And you just keep <laughs> yeah, yeah. learning, and Which everything goes cool. out the window, right? right? Right. Which is a great thing, I guess, because you're it really is- challenging yourself. So I was sure with her, you know, it was children grow and learn and are formed very much from the nature around them, from the environment. Right. However, I've seen already things in a 12 month, a 12 week year old baby. Right. That makes me think this is just, this is who you, who you are. And I That's can right. see some of different traits in me that are coming out,
1: right. And that
0: for me is absolutely fascinating. So is there like, uh, I'm sure it depends, but is there some kind of ballpark figure that, you know, nature, nurture, is it sort of 50, 50 or 80, 20, or do we have any idea what's the weight between the two of them?
1: I don't think so. I think, again, you come into the world in a certain way with certain abilities and skills, your brain is your computer. It's there and everybody's is different, but then the nurture part is really meant to support the who you are part. Right. So you're supposed to pick up cues from your baby and let them and a child and let them be who, who they are. Like, you know, that's like, like Mike, your parents were kind of figuring out, it sounds like how to make you more successful or tolerate school better or whatever, but essentially they let you be who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, really, that's really what you want. So I don't think there is a figure that much, um, you know, and again, we know more about bad things than about good things. We know more about how it is to really harm a baby Mm -hmm. growing up or a child. There's a lot of stuff on that, but on the other end, you know, not so much. So so I don't think people have a number for that, yeah. Mm
2: -hmm so stress resilience right Right. that's how i mean there are so many successful super successful super interesting super amazing people that have a ton of resilience but that's yielded from trauma that's an adaptation from trauma so but you want your kids to do well you don't want your kid to be a mush and 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 have like that middle of the middle of the mall type job, you know. Like you want him, you want your kid to to be successful and to be happy and, and to right. and to have a work ethic. So, right. how do you how do you build that stress resilience component without traumatizing them?
1: Well, I don't think you need trauma, but you do need growth experiences. You can't rescue them all the time mm-hmm. from things, and believe me, things will come up. And then also they should be educated about the world and what people other people experience. Um, but you're right; it's uh, people have studied what you know. Think about uh, um, there are books now. I can I can run and get them. I, they're somewhere in my house. But uh, written on raising resilient children, for example, and and how you do that. Um, and I think you do get to be resilient from having a good first three years. And so it's interesting if you look at children who've able to have been resilient, a lot of them did have an early secure relationship with one loving adult who put them first. And then things fell apart. And then you hear about the the horror of things. But if you ask them about their early years, not so bad. So, I think that that's one thing that if you can get a base of operations from early on that's secure, you can take a lot of what comes later um, and what bounce back, as it were. But people do are studying children who you find it amazing that they can, you know, um, have weathered horrible things. And then
2: they kind of move on and do well. So, so do you know who Bruce Lipton is? Have you heard of that name? No. Bruce Lipton is a, uh, I think he was one of the first people to work on the human genome project. Uh Um, He's, is he an evolutionary biologist Brooker? Is that what he is? I believe so. He's the epigenetic guy, right? Yeah. So one thing that he said, and a lot of his things are obviously, they're, they're thought experiments. There's no way to really test this ethically. But he said in, if the baby while in fetal development, if the mother is under stress, right, there are hormones that are secreted to let the baby know, like you're going to be born into a stressful environment. So the, ba- the right. child becomes more hindbrain dominant and less forebrain dominant. Right. And as a result longer limbs will develop and less critical problem solving the limbic system will be lit up more so than right. the frontal cortex so already right. pre pre-birth the the baby is at a in this environment genetic disadvantage yes, yes right that's, that's why right. that's why even people that adopt kids they right. had them since the mother but the kids are still messed up
1: right. No, those first three years and and utero is critical. And there are studies that show that if you have two periods of high stress, beginning three, let's say a period is three months old, three months. So if you have six months of high stress, either before you're born or early on, then you're in trouble. And those cortisol levels are high and they take a while to come down and you're easily triggered to have them... Again, and it's it's true, it's true. You are you need extra help if that's happened to you, right? And, and there's also the epigenetic stuff. There's also stuff that makes you believe that uh, you know children, for example, of Holocaust survivors have more trouble. Are interesting. They may be very productive individuals but they have more psychological issues of depression and things. And also there is some sense that children who have parents who, who grandparents or ancestors who were slaves and had high trauma in their lives, that epigenetically that is passed on. So it's very interesting. It's really very interesting to think about everything that goes into making one who they are.
2: Have have you read Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Sapolsky? No. He's he's a, a behavioral psychologist in uh-huh. uh, Stanford. He's he's pretty he's he's got really good stuff. Yeah. And one of the things that he wrote about was the impact that glucocorticoids have right um, on on the stress component and the stress uh-huh. levels, where a there was a famine. In Sweden or something like that. I, I forget where it was, but there was a famine for like three or four years. And yeah. all of those babies had a higher risk of obesity. Right. All the ones born it's because so of, yeah.
1: I mean, right. so,
2: so we talk about zero to three years, but I mean, term is pr- pregnancy. It seems to right. be setting the building blocks for life.
1: No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you, you would be aware of that and you'd have to do something to help with that. But yeah, no, it's a very, it's all very interesting, really.
0: It's so fascinating to think about yes. how far back it could possibly go and right. what could still be the influences and what's also sleeping there. And is just waiting for some right. environmental situation to happen to enlighten, you know, to ignite a certain part of you. So it is absolutely fascinating. And right. what's, what, what, you know, I always think about this and what makes a situation for someone they're a child, something terrible happens, and some of them are able to sort of get right. over it and use it almost. And then for others, they're just they're unable to, and it's just I mean, we're never gonna probably know it's this and we have right. to tighten right. this screw or something, it's never gonna be probably be like right. that. But right,
1: but it probably has to do yeah, with genetic vulnerability. Yeah, and then with early care, too, and then even with also getting the right care afterwards too. Initially, but I I really thought I watched that documentary on um, Michael Jordan, yeah, on Netflix, and I, I don't know a lot about athletes really. I have one child who was very athletic, and so um, I learned more from her her experience, but. I found his his um, dedication to kind of work, you know, also very interesting. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I would say some of the most uh, borderline suspect uh, people in terms of struggling with themselves and their purpose in life and things to be some of the most successful athletes. And I think that it's a big reason why they're they're doing it in the first place, you know? Yeah. And if you start digging in a lot of the times you start, so when did you start and why did you start getting good? And then you can link it back to, they got more attention from their parents. Their dad was around every time they were competing and it was like,
1: Uh uh make their dad
0: proud. And then, you know, they just, it keeps building because that's the foundation. So we're moving on from there already. So.
1: Right. Now Now, it's really interesting.
2: Now I've, I've never read anything about Jordan being abused. Right. But there was clearly a, a fight for dad's attention.
1: Yes. Right? Yes.
2: So that th- that's still a form. R- r- there's still a form of neglect going on there that was beneficial. That's a negative. He made the best athlete in the world to ever exist.
1: I know. You know. I like, know. E- I know. Well, he had. I think he had a very nice mother. Which probably bolstered a lot. You know, she was she, and he had a middle class, more or less, upbringing. But the father, if you watch the video, the father uh, said unkind things. He said like, "That's bad," or you know what I mean. Well, I don't know if it's unkind, but but yeah, he definitely. Um, but I think his he his father he admired his dad a lot. I mean, I really think he wanted to be close to him. He had a brother. So maybe they were very competitive, you know, Mm -hmm. siblings is another issue too, (laughs) and sibling attention, right? Um, But, uh, and then he he must've been a feedback loop because the more he practiced, the better he got. And it must've been, you know, he got his own thing going with feeling satisfied with himself too, so.
2: I, I mean, the guy's a borderline sociopath. He, he, make, yeah. he makes up he makes up stories in his head about what people say about him just so he can hate them enough to pummel them into the ground.
1: Well, right, right. He wasn't you you get from watching it, he wasn't loved by his teammates. Yeah. No, he wasn't he wasn't an all-around I love you guy. I we love him. No. They were glad to have him on the team. No, and he was really mean to Scottie Pippen. <laughs> Well, I, yeah.
2: he was mean to, he was mean. It, it was funny. Um, Pippin, if if you watch his Hall of Fame speech and I yeah. said, so Michael Jordan is one of my favorite, one of my favorite athletes of all time. He might be my favorite athlete of all time. I, mm-hmm. I, I used to admire him. I have over a hundred Michael Jordan basketball cards. I have a Michael Jordan picture poster in here right now. Uh-huh. Um, if you listen in his speech though, um, if Michael Jordan hated you, you knew it and if he loved you you knew it in in his hall of fame speech he even even then he brought this this sick guy brought the guy that the high school coach cut michael jordan over right right he brought him to his hall of fame speech he says hey coach just want you to know you made the wrong choice dude like what? <laughs> right right he's, he's he's the best player of all time and even being dogged like that Right, he he still remember those. That's the fuel, and and I think that is those those negative impacts. That negative reinforcement is so valuable to these amazing athletes. It, it's that's what drives them. Is just it, it it builds almost a you could say a negative emotion. A hate, a yes. hate for not being the best. I hate I I hate right. losing more than I love winning.
1: Right. No, that I think that that you get that you get that clearly when you see that documentary. Yeah, but I guess now he is who he is. I don't know that it would have been fun to be him, really. Um, so entirely, but but yeah, you know now he's mellow. He's sitting there and the he doesn't play anymore. Um, but he it was a very it was very interesting to see because he didn't just hey, he was motivated to really make himself better. You know, he practiced, practice, 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 practice. Yeah, and then he was gonna play baseball and he wasn't that great. And somebody said they really feel if he had done his usual practice, practice thing, he would have been a great baseball player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so he did have some kind of all around athletic something uh, ability too.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, the top one that there is it's not to do with shelter or food, it's to do with creative stuff, achieving right. the full potential, right? So Yeah. That's really the the pinnacle at the top there. Right. So Right. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, true. And he struggled with that that same competitiveness. I mean, it was in gambling, it was in other things too as well, right? Yeah, like yeah, what we no, was I'm talking happy. about before the show. Anyone you dig into enough, you'll be you know, everyone's got their <laughs> okay. flaws. So, and a lot of the time, I mean, I've heard other sort of superstar legendary athletes say they wish that they could escape himself. Yeah. You know, I, because.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: You know, so.
1: Yeah. I know, ten, you know, I follow tennis players a little more, and I think they have a range of being, you know, some better than others uh, in who they are as human beings. Right. Right. So.
0: But that,
2: but what makes them a good a good athlete?
1: Well, they're all they're all. I mean, like Andre Agass- Agassi was miserable being a good athlete, mm-hmm. and he was a great tennis player, but he never liked it. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and then you get like Novak Djokovic, who is really kind of an entitled guy, I think, and loves being tennis player and is pretty full of himself, you know, hosted a big thing because he didn't care about coronavirus thought he was immune. You know what I, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It, it's interesting to think about.
0: Well, you got to think about the feedback loops because, you know, we can, it's, it's so easy when you don't experience it yourself to see like, oh, this guy's, you know, super successful. He's winning yeah. competitions he's earning this money, he's getting this attention, but the thing that could be driving that, that whole process for him could be something that's really poisonous deep inside, you know? So, and you've just learned, you've learned some things, but but then it's hard because sometimes also through that journey, it's like Joseph Campbell's, the hero's journey, right? Through the, through the, the darkness and through the mistakes, then they sort of start to understand really who they are. So, I don't know. It's so hard. I, I always want, wonder also with coaching and schooling and is more better or is less better and just sort of everyone kind of figures it out themselves. It's, it's something I'm always battling with.
1: Right, right. Or does it feel like to be successful as a child athlete or as a team or something that you have to have a kind of a mean streak and does competition have to be mean? I don't know.
0: Right. Well, if you look at Federer in terms of tennis, I mean he's some he doesn't necessarily play so aggressive, he's mu- much more of yeah. like a I don't know, an artist out there, I guess you would say. It's yeah. it's hard because also, you know, there's other there's some of these very primal emotions, say say like anger. We we don't like to see people angry people around. But sometimes anger can be one of those emotions that come out that drives you to do things that you would never be able to do physiologically, you know, yeah, because you sort yeah. of tap into this, uh, energy,
1: like, yeah, it, yeah, that's the
0: best way to say it. So it's always so hard,
1: right. hard to know, right.
0: you know, right. Yeah. No, it's,
1: it's interesting to think about. See,
2: yeah. I, I think, I think we have, we have misconceptions, right. Where, there's, there's the epitome of mental health and and stability and emo- emotional stability, right? Like you want, you want these guys to be happy and we want them to be satisfied with their lives and, and not be so angry with people and, and treat people with respect and do all these right. and have all these qualities right. that a normal human would have. However, I'd argue that that's not what makes a good athlete in some regards where you want a narcissist you want you want someone that's like a, a sociopath because you don't want these emotions getting in the way of any decision that they're making. Um, you want them to make sure that they are if they it dep- obviously depending on their goal, but to yeah. make a good athlete, maybe some of these negative emotions are exactly what they
1: need Yeah, no, it's interesting i don't I don't know the, I don't know the answer but it's it's very interesting
0: and say like someone like tyson who obviously had a lot of trauma he, he was sort of at least engaging with it and getting it out on a daily basis so i don't know if it was net positive or net you know net negative for him but it's it's so funny but i mean in general this whole field of psychology is it's one of if buts maybe he's not sure you know constantly evolving and it's really hard to pinpoint on so much stuff i mean say like where's the where how was your sort of philosophy changed because you know the impact of neuroscience and mm-hmm. you know all of these brain scans that we're able to get nowadays things are changing rapidly right in terms of our information yeah. age so yeah back whenever you said it was when you were studying and doing your doctorate have you had to change has the, mm-hmm. has the theory changed or how has it been for you?
1: I think, the, I think there are things that have definitely changed. There are things we thought um, that were psychological. For example, when I started out, there were two things. One was that bedwetting, if you were a bedwetter, you were, had a wish to remain a baby. And it was a psychological idea about bedwetting. Now we know that's baloney, really. It runs in families. And it really is kind of a physical, physiological genetic thing.
2: Bed, bedwetting is genetic?
1: Yeah. If you, if you, um, I have my, my daughter was a big bedwetter and we were like, you know, wow, this is, this is interesting. Well, I had dinner with my cousins and I met, we met, were talking about things and I mentioned that. And then a few of my cousins looked very sheepish and said, well, we were bedwetters and our kids were bedwet. You'll find things in families. Yeah, so bedwetting has those kinds of components. It probably has to do with um, sleep and being a very, very sound sleeper for some people, more than, more than others, you know, because to not be a bedwetter at night, you have to be able to rouse yourself decide, oh, I have to pee and go to the bath, get up and go to the bathroom, right? So anyway, so that's one thing. It isn't a wish to remain a baby, right? Um, And the other thing is autism and serious mental illness. So when I was getting trained, they had this whole idea about, it's always the mother. So they had this whole idea about refrigerator mothers and that you got were autistic because you were very cold as a mother and didn't make a connection with your baby. Oh, you laugh now, but I'm not kidding.
0: Crazy. Yeah. You can write, you that. can
1: find papers called the refrigerator mother. Refrigerator mother. I, when you Crazy. said that, I was like, what, what are they talking about? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was- <laughs> <laughs> right. And Crazy. now we know that again, autism can be identified early on. And it, it really is an illness. You know, it's a brain difference. It's a thing. Right. It's not because you had a mother who rejected you. Imagine the stress that put on the mother. Oh, it's terrible. Can you imagine your guilt? Yeah. Same thing with schizophrenia and yeah, yeah, yeah. So an interesting thing regarding schizophrenia,
2: 1.5, you know, but 1.5% of the population in the U S is schizophrenic.
1: Right. Right.
2: Now going back to the epigenetics, if the schizophrenic, lives with another schizophrenic they have an exponential increase uh, i think it goes from a three percent likelihood of developing schizophrenia to a nine percent
1: right. right why how does well, that how does that work i don't know but i think i do think we know you know there's do you you have have you you know the aces study adverse childhood experiences study mm-hmm Right, you, you, I'm sure you know about that. Well, one of the adverse experiences being raised by a parent with a mental illness. Uh-huh. And I, I just, I think in general, it's very hard when you think about the, that feedback loop, you know, serve and return and the kinds of connections you're making. If you have a parent who's really compromised and can't give you kind of a consistent uh, realistic, um, feedback. I think that that leads to, uh, more, you know, kind of poor thinking on your part. And schizophrenic is kind of a, it's a thought disorder really.
2: So, so, so so, so that's, that's what I don't understand about schizophrenia is you're not, you're not necessarily abusive. You're not necessarily neglectful, right? But, They're observing, the child is observing the parent's behavior. And then all of a sudden it imprints on them and enables those genetics to be expressed.
1: I think, I think so. I mean, I think it's more likely if you think about it, because it's a way of being, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've spent time with somebody. I mean, it varies, but if you've had time with somebody who's very ill, their way of relating is not um, is not is not understandable, and to you'd have to change yourself as a child to be able to get along in that system.
0: To be able to communicate, I actually. So you, you <clears> become <throat> that. Yeah. So I I I know a girl whose mum was schizophrenic and i believe bipolar something like that and now she basically mum's mother's her own mum and yeah. when she's communicating and interacting with the mum she she's a completely different person she's almost acting as if she had those issues herself uh, just mm-hmm. to be able to sort of get through it's really fascinating so yeah
1: i know it's tough it's tough that those are serious illnesses that really you know take really make it hard to to really live
0: and say like this you know mental health is like just this buzzword and it's everywhere now and we're seeing you know we're saying that the rates of autism are going up and the rates of other mental health issues are going up are they going up or were they always up we just never tested for them and didn't really know what we was looking at like do you see this as being like as a a huge modern day problem or was it always a problem? We just never looked at it before.
1: I think th- I think for things like autism, especially mild autism, you know, I remember being in elementary school and there were a couple of weird kids. Remember those weird kids? Right. And nobody ever, you know, I can remember one of their names. And I, I I've always been psychologically minded even when I was seven years old. And I remember sitting and thinking, about them and thinking, hmm, you know, that's, there. there's something like a vibe and now they would be diagnosed with mild autism. Yeah, right. They're they're, not autistic,
2: they're quirky. Right, right,
1: (laughs) right. But, you know, a couple of them went beyond, there was quirky and then there was kind of a different vibe quirky. Um, And now they'd be diagnosed with mild autism. You know, so I do think that that has made those numbers change as people are more and more aware of things. And there wasn't help in the same way for, there wasn't help for children with attention deficit disorders. You were just a bad kid who didn't do school or right. You were like headed to be a juvenile delinquent. Uh, Right. And so there was that or dyslexia was seen know you're stupid. You can't read. No, you can be taught to read. You just need this special way to learn to read. And then, you know, the thing about reading that people forget is once you can read, you can read. It's not like driving a car. You learn to drive a car, you're done, right? You know, same thing. You learn to read, you're done. You may not love reading. You may not be a great reader. But once you can read, you can read. So, Where were you
2: all my life?
1: See, no, I know people, you know, people didn't, people just didn't know things.
0: No, What do you think about, uh, homeschooling?
1: Uh, I, you know, I think, well, I, I think that, um, it's okay. I actually, under certain circumstances, when my husband was very ill, um, and dying, uh, my daughter couldn't go to school. And so she needed... To go to school. So um, we registered her, you know, she couldn't be like not in school, you're not allowed. So we registered her for homeschooling. And so that is my only kind of personal foray into homeschooling. Um, it, it actually in tough time in that tough time provided some comic relief because <clears throat> she had a lot of stories. She went to the homeschooling center about the children, <laughs> the children who were with her. Um, And they were children who you would think wouldn't be okay and couldn't make it in a normal setting. So I think there's that. But then there's a whole group of religious people who really don't feel schools will be a good influence on their children. You know, and they do fine academically. There's plenty of curriculums out there um, that one can follow. So, uh, you know, I have really no judgment about it. And pretty
0: fun could be pretty funny too it's a completely different experience i mean as long yeah. as you satisfy the the social integration like they need to be spending time with kids their own age and yeah. playing and all this other stuff but i don't know i feel like if i if, if i could predict the future i think schooling's gonna go for a rapid change especially after now oh, uh, with the whole yeah. corona situation i really think that A lot of people, if they, if they have the means to do it, I can imagine like homeschooling or some kind of tele education system is going to, is going to be adopted and it's going to become a very popular thing I can imagine.
1: Well, I worry about things from a socioeconomic standpoint. I have friends, for example, who have money and during the COVID they have been in a bubble, as they say, with other families and they've hired teachers Uh And so their children are getting like kind of a a very enriched experience, um, you know, with being in a class of three and not being technically homeschooled because they're in a class of three and out of the home with a teacher, not not a parent. Um, And some of those kids are really thriving and doing better. Uh, yeah, but that's not available to poor children. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so uh, I I just, and it's it's always poor children who suffer. So poor children are suffering the most in this pandemic, even if you make sure they have computer access, there are adults who are, have other concerns in the home and can't sit with them. And, you know, so I don't know what things are going to look like, but you need, You need to have schools. It's going to be a mess. Has been a mess. Here, at least, in the United States.
0: For sure. I mean, I don't even want to think about the amount of child abuse and domestic abuse that's going on with everybody locked in. Domestic violence
1: is up. Domestic violence reports are totally up. Yeah.
0: I can imagine. Yeah. One of the... I remember when you told me that you spent, am I correct, four years in psychotherapy that you did psychoanalysis sorry psychoanalysis when it comes to children what are the more effective ways because i know that there's also sort of play therapy and it's not necessarily you know you're not just sitting down with a child and sort of talking to it what are the really sort of effective interventions with children do you even use cbt based approaches with some of them or
1: Uh, Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you do. I think, I think you can play and talk. You can play and interpret the play. I mean, I think, again, the relationship is important for some children, having an adult who's really interested in them and what they say and can give them some, you know, the greatest gift for all of us is being understood and still being loved, right? Isn't that the best? Thing you can do for somebody. And so, um, you know, I think that that's a lot of therapy for children is that they get to show who they are and still be appreciated and and loved. Um, So there are a lot of different therapies. Really, Alex, it's so hard to answer. I think you have to find somebody who gets along with your child um, and then it depends, you know, like ADHD, if that's a disorder you have, that's not that responsive to play therapy alone, but it's, if you can do it, play therapy plus meds is great. And that's because a lot of times ADHD isn't the problem. The problem is all the negative feedback the kid's gotten from having ADHD. Oh, right? You know, it, ugh, Keep your hands off that. Can't you sit still? What's wrong with you? You know,
0: this Definitely. is an important point because I had one of my uh well let's say someone i know young young girl she just got uh, diagnosed as having aspergers. Yeah. And now the whole narrative you can see it in her has changed already. Oh I'm a aspergers child. I've got pro- something wrong with me and seeing the way that also people are being funny around with her now you can start seeing how these feedback loops are going to have a big impact on her. I mean with the, the, the classification of things such as ADHD, it's not just as simple as, okay, the kid's got it, here's some, right. here's some medicine, you know, because it's also the way that the child sort of interprets it too. Right. Like, you know, the yeah. truth is the, the kids can't, they can't sit down in school. They would be better to be going out and running around the woods and trying to have school right. in some other kind of way. Right. Right. You know, they just, they're not really a problem child. It's just, they don't fit into the system That's of right. this, this working. Right. That's so, right. Is, right. is
2: Asperger's a thing
0: anymore?
1: No, it's now mild autism. It's so okay. yeah, that's okay. But yeah, we know what you mean. But yeah, now it's it's a spectrum disorder. So there's mild right. to severe.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So uh, it, it it's funny that
2: you say that. Me, like, a, a couple of my friends, I, I I've I've always been kind of a quirky kid, and yeah. a couple, so I. I just attract the quirkiest of people,
1: Yeah, but,
2: but the more, the more we learn about mental health disorders or me- I guess, mental illness issues and even things like autism and beyond the spectrum. I mean, we have, we, we have a couple of buddies that are very likely somewhere on the spectrum yeah. and right. they're right. But we're, we're, and, and I have, I mean, I, I meet a lot of people, now, just because of my professional athletes and stuff. And man, it is it is obvious that I just clearly do not fit in with, yeah, yeah. With, with, with a lot of people. I rub so many people the wrong way. Where does this spectrum begin? How how do you how do you go about saying something? Bro, you're it, on
0: it. Mike, okay. you're on it. Don't <laughs> even worry about that. You're on it somewhere. <laughs>
2: I mean there's 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 tells like hey if you walk on your toes you walk on your tippy toes that's like a, a hey people that kind of do that it might be a little bit of the sp- and and one of my buddies we just we just rip him constantly and he's a quirky quirky guy he's right, always been right. quirky right how how do you go about diagnosing this treating this what does it even matter
1: I I again you just don't want the quirky kid getting a lot of negative feedback about who they are Do you know what I mean? That's the thing. And you wanna have them have one friend. It's terrible growing up not to have any friends. But you can also say to children, it won't always be this way because you don't always have, you're in groups a lot when you're a kid. How many of us, I'm never really in a group now. Mm -hmm. The most, the biggest group I'm in is a group of five when I do something. But I, I I don't mind groups actually. Um, I mean, I never was like a party person, but it wasn't from uh, like a sense of misery, but you know what I mean? But children are in groups all the time. And as you even said, Mike, you have the little kids, you have kids in small groups, they're great. They get in a big group, they're like trouble. Yeah, and so um, I don't know. I think quirky is fine, but you do need to be in a group. So you need to find a way unless your parent can send you to fancy schools with 10 kids in a class. And then you need to have a couple of friends. You can't really be friendless. It doesn't, that, that's nice. But you can have like-minded friends.
2: Uh, but I, Affirmation know. bias.
1: <laughs> no, you would like my, no, it's also mother bias because my son, Mike, Michael, um, you know, he was, a, he was, he's a quirky kid. And he's the sweetest can be, and he's lovely, uh, but he has tons of tattoos, which his mother does not approve of, but you know what I mean? But he also, but he had one best friend, and he and his best friend would sit, and they would make up in their minds, they'd talk for hours about, like, potential video games and monsters, and, you know, they'd sit there and talk for hours. Who, do, who does that, you know, when you're 10? Um, but that was him. And now he's an adult and he's fine. He works. He has a master's of social work. He's very nice to people, um, patients. And, you know, what can I say? But um, but the group stuff and the being left out stuff, that that can feel very bad to you. Yeah
0: it's so hard because then you would think that the antidote would be remove them from the situation because we don't want to see this, this negative feedback. However, the cure could also be the same thing if it didn't go too far, I guess, you know, so that the child can learn, okay, it's not so bad. No one really is making fun of me, but you've got to take that risk to get in there. So it's, you know, and as a parent, it must be petrifying because, we never know the consequences of anything of what we're doing right now, especially well, not the second still, and third order of effects afterwards, you know? Right. So,
1: you feel bad, but you have to, again, a supportive home makes a big difference. Not yeah. like what's wrong with you. Why did you do that? Or, yeah, you know, yeah. what's the matter with you? Nobody's going to like you if you do that when they really can't undo that. You know what I mean? So right. I think, I think that that makes a big difference to have a home that says so and also to say to kids it will not always be like this. You know.
2: You don't treat a lot of Italians, do you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is this I is regular Italian conversation. <laughs> I love Italian food. I don't know why. Right. Oh, you need to
2: <laughs> You need to come to one of our dinners, even to this day. My mom will slap one of us and be like, "What's the matter with you?" (laughs) Oh yeah, but that's okay.
1: What do you you have, shit for brains? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, no. Listen, it's the same. Uh, We have an affinity. It's the same with the Jews, but that's different. That is very different than um, kind of a a cruel, unkind, you know, like serious thing. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. I can, yeah.
2: I can keep you here for hours. We're we're well over an hour now. Brooker, you know, do you have right. any, do you have any fun?
0: I don't want to take up too much of your time. Right. No, let's call it there. and then maybe okay. we get the, we get to be blessed with your presence once again, Lenore.
1: Oh well, it was fun to talk to you because you know things that I don't know, so that's always fun.
0: Well, actually, <laughs> there's one. If you've got five minutes, there was one more thing that popped into my head. And it was, uh, you mentioned it before. It was about who give you, we need to allow children to sort of, um, grow into who they are. Right. Now, one of the things that I see with, especially with like the successful athletes is that they're so connected between who they are and what they do. So say like, for example, when they're competing and they're winning, yeah. they're feeling great. Right. As soon as they get one result, they think they don't deserve or it shouldn't have been, they're back down on this rock bottom part. Right. And the hardest thing that it seems to be is just trying to pull these apart. And right. these core values to who we are, is there... I mean, I like to I like to say that there's the core section, you have this sort of demilitarized zone, and then you've got this sort of horizon line and everything right. else that's going on around us stays there. Right. And you need to build up this sense of protection to the core values to who right. you are. Right, right with all of the things that you've seen throughout your whole career what are some of the more effective or alternative types of 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 treatments because there's so many therapies there's so you know you can
1: no i know you know if you
0: look at sort of freudian psychoanalysis to even nowadays where there's you know crazy uh uh, a poison from a toad, a psychedelic right, right, experience right. that people are using, or bark right. from a or tree.
1: Microdosing. I have people on microdosing LSD. Right, yeah.
0: but now also, I mean, especially close to you, they're now looking at psilocybin from mushrooms and MDMA right, for right. PTSD. So, what's some of the 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 what's something that maybe we've never heard of that you've seen or used in an effective way throughout your career?
1: I I really am a talking person. And so I think that that's been uh, I think that's been most kind of my helpful thing. So I don't really know how to answer you. I think that even though I was trained psychoanalytically, it doesn't mean that I just sat there and said, "Uh uh-huh, oh, I see, or whatever. I'm not Carl Rogers, but um, so I think that, you know, CBT, but I think sometimes, you know, enlightening people um, and I don't know what to say about your athletes. I have said even to my own children like you know things like you're right to feel bad about this that is a big disappointment. You're disappointed in yourself. Um, it, uh, what are you an idiot? Of course you're disappointed in yourself and how things worked out. but this is the, the this is the now you have a history of other things and let's, what are we gonna do to move on? And can we get, you know, I have said life is sort of, you hope for there are highs and there are lows, but mostly life is like this, you know, really. And you, you, can't, get, you can't get too excited over the win. You can't get too excited over the loss. I mean, really. And, and how you help somebody with that, um, you know, move on. I, I don't know, especially a professional person, especially somebody, you know, it'd be interesting to interview losers like Wimbledon runner, second in commit, you know, when you lose Wimbledon, not when you lose in the in the first tier, but when you lose and you're number two, right. uh, you know, Clearly, people bounce back. Or when you don't lose, when you lose the Super Bowl.
0: Well, I think when you start really talking to, especially seasoned athletes, after a while, right? And you really dig into things, winning and losing, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference to them.
1: Yeah.
0: P- p- let's say whatever tennis match.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Federer's lost thousands of yeah. tennis matches. Right. Didn't mean anything. He's won loads too. Right. Right. Probably doesn't mean much. You know. It, there seems to be this this idea that when i do this or once i've achieved this then i'm going to be free from all concerns right. and worries right, right. and uh, recently i had one of my clients he just sold his startup for a lot of money he was working like a dog for four years said the next day he woke up so depressed didn't know what to do with himself anymore and this right, right. idea you know the grass right. is greener over here and Right, all of the, you know, it's uh, it's a fascinating thing. So, Liz and Leno, thank you so much for your time. Really oh, well, appreciate it. It was you.
1: fun to talk to you. Nice to meet you, Mike.
0: It was great meeting you. Thank you so yeah. much for being on.
1: Um, no, do, it was you, fun. Do, you want,
2: do you want to be found? Where can where can any, everyone find you? Do you have any research that you want people to read? Anything like that?
1: I don't. I don't think so. I mean, really. I mean, people can email me, but you know, it's it's funny. I recently wrote something for the domestic violence shelter for for parents, for children. And they asked me, Oh, do you want your name on this or, you know, whatever. And I said, No, you know, I'm, I'm at the end of my career, I'm not striving to uh, anything. So I just, you know, I just want to help people and help children. And I'm pretty concerned with underserved populations.
0: Yeah. no mention the project that you just start or the the volunteer work that you're about to start that's probably a good a good way well, to end it because uh, for some uh, publicity well, I, on this
1: i work a day a week now it's on zoom which isn't satisfying that much to tell you the truth but at a domestic violence shelter for mothers and kids and so that's been really fun for me and well worthwhile and now i'm going to try a telemedicine there's a thing on they're trying to do free telemedicine um mental health stuff so i can't say how that's going to work i mean i think there are a lot of barriers for underserved people to find a quiet place to a computer access so i don't know but um that'll be interesting too
0: cool right on thank you lenore thank you all right let's cut the recording and then
1: all right